I've listened to Renaissance by Beyonce since just before the Grammys this year. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. Okay. Why? I have I have a confession for the audience. I need you need to introduce and say hello, but Oh, this is part of the episode. Yeah, this is part of the episode. So I have a confession. Go ahead and get the intro over so I can confess. Alright, well, welcome to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James, and with me, about to make a, a shocking confession of some sort, is Connor. I've lied to the audience already this episode. <laughs> what? About beatboxing? Uh, no. <laughs> oh. It says, I listened once yesterday, oh. and I listened to this for the first time right before the Grammys as well. I listened to all the ones you said might win, okay. because we were going to have to do such a fast turnaround. You know what? That's fair. I listened to this months ago at this point, and just listened to it for a second time last night because I couldn't remember it. Well, I mean, it's technically not still a lie, because you did listen to it once yesterday. You just listened another time before that. Oh, that's true. I just I had to get that off my chest. <laughs> I think it's a good thing that you did that, to be honest, because I don't think this is a one-listen album. I don't think you can do much with this album in one listen. Sure you can. I prove that wrong every week. This album's a little different than the others we do, but we'll get into it. Yeah? Yeah, so this episode is about Beyonce's album Renaissance, which was just up for a Grammy this past year. Album of the year, in fact. Yep, yep. It lost out to Harry Styles' Harry's House, which we talked about on episode 82. But I always like, after the Grammys, kind of checking out some of the other albums that were in contention, you know? Seeing how they compare, what we think of those. We did it last year with We Are and a couple of the other albums that were nominated for Grammys. And I figured, why not do it again? Especially since, before the Grammys, I already took a lot of notes on Beyonce. Beyonce, just in case she won, because she was definitely a front runner. Uh, while we're on a confession streak. Oh, yeah? I need to confess I've made poor choices this evening. This is not going to be another milk chugging episode, right? Or another... It is not another milk chugging episode. 50 chicken nugget challenge? No, no, well, no. <laughs> Your hesitation is concerning. Uh, It is a food... I guess you could call it a challenge. Why not? Was it were either of those other ones really challenges? It just kind of happened. It's true. I went to Wendy's for dinner. Sure. Not a sponsor. And just over a week or so ago, I went back and watched our hot chicken takeover, a Nashville hot chicken video that we did. Yeah, which is a great one out on our YouTube now at Spin It Pod. And that really just got me in the mood for some spicy chicken. As it should. And if you have seen it, you'll know I didn't handle the spicy chicken that well. At all. At all. But I went to Wendy's, and as I was sitting there in line, I looked to my left, and there it said on a big sign, Ghost Pepper Chicken Sandwich. Oh, no. New. Wendy's used to do all kinds of ghost pepper stuff. I remember getting their ghost fries all the time. Uh-huh. It was great. The ghost fries are back, but they also have the ghost pepper chicken sandwich, which has ghost pepper cheese, ghost pepper onions, and ghost pepper something else on it. Whoa. And I was like, I'm going to get that and try to eat it throughout the episode. And just see how you hold up? And see how I hold up. Okay. So I have it sitting here in front of me, and it looks terrifying. Oh, here's what you need to do. Eat it at a random point. Don't tell us. Oh, don't tell you. Okay, okay, that's a great idea. And then we'll see if we can tell when you've eaten it. And by we, I mean I. The audience will have to just figure it out. I love that idea. Yep, I feel like we'll be able to tell. <laughs> I also, I didn't stop there, because my mama didn't raise a coward. 
Okay. And honestly, it was kind of an impulse decision because when I got up there, I said, yeah, uh, I got my normal dinner order. And then I said, and also one ghost pepper chicken sandwich. And then she went classic or spicy. Oh. This thought had not even occurred to me. <laughs> and so I, in a moment of panic, went spicy, please. So it has spicy chicken on it on top of the ghost pepper stuff. Well, I mean. It got extra heat. Just a smidge. I, honestly. Well, let's just say I typically only get the spicy chicken sandwich from Wendy's when like I have like sinus congestion and want to clear my sinuses. <laughs> That's too much for me on a daily basis. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. But I love the idea of taking a bite of it and starting it randomly. Uh-huh. I like it, too. But before you do that, what do you know about Beyonce? Surely you've heard some of her stuff out and about. Is that how you pronounce that name? No, I'm kidding. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Beyonce. I thought it was just Bay once. Bay once? No. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know about Beyonce. Of course. Well, I'm going to tell you a little more about Beyonce. Do that. I will. Beyonce Giselle Knowles was born in Houston, Texas, and her ancestry, what I learned when I was researching this, is really interesting. She has a lot of notable French aristocrats in her heritage, and her grandparents spoke French, and they were Louisiana Creoles, which is awesome. She also has a sister, Solange, who is also a singer, and they're the very first pair of sisters to each have a number one album out at the same time, which is super cool. That's cool. Mm -hmm. But before Beyonce was a singer, she was a dancer. People started to realize that she was a heck of a singer when she would sing along to music that was playing during her dance classes. When she was seven, she was in a talent show and absolutely destroyed the competition when she sang John Lennon's song, Imagine, right? She's seven. She beat kids that were 16 in this talent show. She won big. She started attending special schools for music and for performing arts, and she was singing as a soloist in her church choir way back in the kid days. When she was eight, eight, just eight years old, she auditioned for an all-girl group called Girls' Time, T-Y-M-E, and she met future bandmates Latavia Robertson and Kelly Rowland. Girls' Time had a really solid breakout. They were performing all around Houston, and they caught the attention of producer Arn Frager, who took them to California to be on the TV show called Star Search, which is pretty much like a pre-American Idol, American Idol for singers and dancers. You know, like a little talent competition show. They didn't win, following a tradition, of course, of artists who were not winners in talent competitions and then went on to be huge stars. After the show, they added Latoya Luckett to the group, and Beyonce's dad quit his job to become the group's full-time manager, which is a pretty significant sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah, so he starts managing the band. After a couple speed bumps along the way, they sign with Grassroots Entertainment and get to work on an album in 1996, which is also the year that Girls' Time, with a Y, finally decided to change their name to the nowadays much more familiar Destiny's Child. This is already going to be a long episode because there's a lot to say about Beyonce and the Grammys and it's a 16-track record. So hurry up. And now you're eating this chicken sandwich. We kind (laughs) of have to fly through her Destiny's Child era a little bit. Blame Wendy's. But basically... (laughs) Wendy's, it's your fault. Destiny's Child was a massive success. They've sold more than 60 million records and they're one of the most successful trios in music history. Billboard also ranked them the ninth most successful artist of the 2000s. They were nominated for 14 Grammys, and they won twice. They weren't without their problems, though. Beyonce's bandmates thought that her manager dad was starting to play favorites, and Luckett and Roberson left the band in the late 90s. In total, Destiny's Child would release five albums by 2004 in their first eight years, 
and they would disband following a world tour the next year, which was, ironically, sponsored by McDonald's. A lot of fast food things going on here. But Destiny's Child proved to be a great launch pad for Beyonce's already legendary and ongoing solo career. In 2002, before Destiny's Child was even done for, Beyonce was working as a solo artist and as an actress, kicking off her film career in Austin Powers' Gold Member, and she did her first solo vocal work as a feature on her future husband Jay-Z's song, O3 Bonnie and Clyde, which I didn't realize, once again, until I was doing research for this. Like, I knew she was married to Jay-Z, did not realize that that's how her solo career got started. Wild. Mm-hmm. In 2003, her solo debut album, Dangerously in Love, was released. It sold 317,000 copies in its first week alone, which put it on top of the Billboard 200. To date, it sold more than 11 million copies worldwide, and her very first single, Crazy in Love, topped the charts. This is another Little Wayne Effect thing. I have heard Crazy in Love 800 times since the Grammys. It's everywhere. It's on the radio, it's in stores, it's on shelf, like it's omnipresent in my life now, thanks to this episode. <laughs> have you heard Crazy in Love? I'm sure you have. Sure I have. When Crazy in Love was coming out, that same 2003, it tied the record for the most Grammy wins in a single year with five, and she even performed with Prince, which is super cool. That is cool. Three years later, in 2006, her second album, B-Day, came out. Great pun. Just excellent. It sold more than 514,000 copies in the first week, almost double what her debut did. It topped the charts again. It earned her another five Grammy nominations in its first year and another two the year after that. And her acting career continued too. She starred in The Pink Panther with Steve Martin in Dreamgirls with uh, a co-star, not roommate Jamie Foxx. <laughs> well, we don't know that. I guess we don't know that, know that. But I'm pretty confident, or it was until now, that they were never roommates. <laughs> Only one way to find out. We're not there yet. We'll find out in a, in a while. In 2007, Beyonce went on her very first world tour. It stopped at 97 different venues and grossed over $24 million, which is a lot. That's a lot of tour. And in 2008, she and Jay-Z finally tied the knot, got married after dating since 2001. And, I mean, realistically, after that initial jump, we can just run down the discography hit after hit after hit. Uh, I Am Sasha Fierce, her next album, sold 482000 its first week, debuted at number one. That's Single Ladies, that's Halo, that's If I Were a Boy. Oh, and I have to mention that Beyonce is a part of the spin cycle. Sure is. Beyonce is a significant part of Kanye West's absolutely awful I'ma Let You Finish moment from the 2009 MTV Awards. So we talked about her as early as episode three. Yep. But that was for Sasha Fierce. That record got 10 Grammy nominations, doubling what she did previously on a single album, including her first for Album of the Year. She won six of those 10 Grammys, but not Album of the Year. Her fourth album was called Four. Again, brilliant. It sold 310000 in the first week. Not quite as lucrative as her first three. But... I'm so scared. You're scared? Don't be scared of the chicken. The fumes from the chicken just made my eyes water. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought you were scared because of something about Beyonce's Four. I was like, what? <laughs> Don't worry, it's a good album. And even though Four didn't sell as well as her previous albums, it was still a number one debut, and it made her the first female artist with three albums to have more than a billion Spotify streams each. So that's cool. Nice. Mm -hmm. She was also the first solo female artist to headline the Glastonbury Festival in more than 20 years back in 2011, and her Super Bowl halftime show, okay, here's a stat for you. Her Super Bowl halftime show 
is still the second most tweeted about moment in history. Okay, not halftime show, not musical performance, moment in history. There were over 268,000 tweets per minute. That's a little bit of, you know, technology bias, though. Think about how many historical moments just didn't have that option. (laughs) Okay, yeah, (laughs) true. Nobody was (laughs) tweeting about the Boston Tea Party or, I mean... Yeah, but imagine if they were. Right. I just thought that was a really surprising statistic. I don't know. Think of all the events that have happened since Twitter. It's true. And to be honest, I... I guess I don't know what the first most tweeted about moment in history is. I can't believe you didn't look it up. Gonna tease us like that? I know. Should I look it up now? Yeah. I'll be honest. That list says it's Beyonce. Maybe it's the most. Oh. Okay. Never mind. I can't find a definitive answer, but... It's either number one or number two. It's up there. Either way, 286,000 tweets per minute is a lot. Yeah. That's four. Her fifth album, self-titled Beyonce, was a surprise release, and it still topped the chart. She's also the very first woman to have her first five albums debut on top of the Billboard charts. That album brought six more Grammy nominations in 2015. In 2016, she released her next album, Lemonade, which is actually the only other Beyonce album that I am thoroughly familiar with and have scored and ranked on the list. Yeah, how'd it do? How'd it do? Good question. Lemonade, for me, ranked at number 150 so far. Okay. Not top 100. Lemonade was really cool. I really like Lemonade. Number 150 is pretty respectable. It was a combination album and film project, kind of a mixed media venture. It also, surprise, debuted at number one, which made her the first artist in history to do this six times in a row. She was also the first female artist with a dozen songs on the charts at once. Lemonade has been certified more than three times platinum and was by far one of her most critically acclaimed records. She was nominated for nine more Grammys this year, did not win Album of the Year yet again, And another wild fact, she was slated to headline Coachella after Lemonade came out, and she couldn't because she was pregnant at the time. When she dropped out of the Coachella lineup, ticket prices for the festival dropped by 12%. That is so wild. That's actually a little low for what I was expecting as you were ramping up to that. Oh, I'm sorry. I ramped it too much. You overramped that one. I did. I'm not (laughs) as skilled in the art of the ramp like the mixtaper is. But uh, she's done a ton of other projects in between albums, and she also starred recently, well, less recently at this point, I guess it's been a few years, but she starred as the voice of Nala in Disney's quote-unquote live-action Lion King remake. (laughs) And that more or less brings us up to today's album, Renaissance. And I wanted to talk quick about Beyonce's awards. I mean, we've talked a lot about the Grammys, because this was kind of a Grammy-focused episode as a Grammy-nominated album. It's pretty clear, you know, about her accolades and awards. I'm kind of sparing you the details, because the list is, I kid you not, the longest list of awards we've ever talked about. Just, I want you to guess how many awards Beyonce's been nominated for. I'll give you a hint, because I've already told you, that's 88 Grammy nominations, and prior to this past Grammys, it was 28 wins. So you know she's got at least 88 Grammy nominations. How many other awards do you think she's been nominated for? 700. 700. No. Uh, Higher or lower? It's higher. 1,000. It's higher. 1,200. It's higher. 1,400. It's a little lower. 1,300? It's higher. 1,350. It's higher. 1,370. It's lower. This is a long game. 1360. It's lower. I don't know why you didn't just say close enough. Because uh- <laughs> well, you just seemed really eager to keep going. Anyway, the real answer is 1,357 nominations for major awards. And she's won 542 of them. 
Wow. Uh-huh. And another itty-bitty trivia tidbit that I find really interesting as a music rights guy. Back in 2022, she made her entire catalog available for use on TikTok, which is so cool. Wow. Mm-hmm. Not a thing you see a lot, but definitely super cool. And it's a good marketing move. Absolutely it is. Look at how many songs have gotten, like, back in the public mind because of tiktok a ton or in the public mind at all little indie Mm -hmm. songs that never would Mm -hmm. have gotten any traction otherwise are just now huge yeah so this week we're talking about renaissance her most recent album of the year nominee it's also called act one renaissance because it's the first part of a multi-album project but it's Beyonce's seventh studio album. Came out on July 29th, 2022, right about the time that we were rocking out to Dance Gavin Dance. It's the first part of a trilogy, and it was written and inspired during the height of the COVID pandemic. And it was meant to pay homage to club music and all the influences that went into the genre. And you know me, notorious club music lover. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember you and Twisted Sister just tearing up clubs. <laughs> I even forgot about that. <laughs> really? Oh, I thought that's what you were referencing. No, I was just being facetious about liking that kind of music. <laughs> so what you're saying is you don't like club music. No, I love it. I go to clubs all the time with Twisted Sister. What are you talking about? All right, shut up. <laughs> but yes, yeah, she's making this record to pay homage to club music. And during the pandemic, it also did a lot to change her own perspective. She said... In the past, she, quote, spent a lot of time focusing on building my legacy and representing my culture the best way I know how. Now, I've decided to give myself permission to focus on my joy. So, this is a joyous record. And as such, it's largely a dance, pop, house, R&B record. It's a really upbeat blend of styles, achieved by a team of more than 20 producers, dozens of songwriters, and much like a DJ set in a club, it blends together very well. And a side note, it does still get its bonus point for being written by Beyonce, because even though she worked with dozens of songwriters, she co-wrote on every single one of these tracks, which is super impressive. Cool. Yeah, it's cool. She said, creating this album allowed me a place to dream and to find escape during a scary time for the world. It allowed me to feel free and adventurous in a time when little else was moving. My intention was to create a safe place, a place without judgment, a place to be free of perfectionism and overthinking, a place to scream release feel freedom other little trivia tidbits unlike lemonade he's still going audience i told you there's every a- time i think he's about done he goes and another thing and, and more and more another little tri- trivia tidbit you, you do not understand how much beyonce has done it was so much i understand it and so when i put this episode together with all these facts that i found for the grammy episode first of all that one was going to be a b-side but second of all (laughs) i just couldn't let all these facts go so unlike lemonade which really had that big visual component Beyonce meant for Renaissance to mostly be focused solely on the music that is paying tribute to. So while she kind of also did release parts of a visual element to it, she did encourage fans just to focus on the music itself, which is really cool. And when she dropped this album and the lead single Break My Soul topped the charts, she became the third artist in history to have 20 top 10 singles as a solo artist and 10 as part of a group alongside Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. Nice. Yeah, that is the end of my notes notes on Beyonce and Renaissance for now. It's time to get in touch with the mixtaper and see what else we can learn. I think he fell asleep. Did he? Well, we better wake him up. Hey, mixtaper, wake up. Get over here. Rattle his spoons. (laughs) I'll go get him. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. Hello, mixtaper. How are you doing this week? Hey, uh, we got fast track this one because... 
Already going to be a long episode if we don't. It's going to be a fine. So uh, let's get right on into it. Okay. All right. Wow. Uh, pick a number one through four. Oh, <laughs> back to picking numbers. Hit me with number two. I like that style. It's like choose your own fate sort of thing. Kind of. Choose your own destiny. You know, your destiny. Oh, like destiny's child. I am destiny's child. Yeah. By subjecting myself to the whims of fate. Now, what number did you pick? I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> two. I'm, I'm going with lucky number two. You're so focused on that destiny joke. Lucky number two. She got a word added to the dictionary. That's a rare accomplishment. What word got added to the dictionary on account of Beyonce? Is it Beyonce? No, it's not. Okay. It is bootylicious. Bootylicious. <laughs> That's in the dictionary? Uh-huh. Who needs that defined? Hey, if you hear the word bootylicious, it kind of speaks for itself, as long as you're familiar <laughs> with the words booty and delicious. Now it's an official word, which means all you high schoolers taking English class, you can put that word in your paper, and your teacher can't be like, that's not a word. Yeah, but like, what context? If you can find a good context to use it in your English paper, go for it, I guess. <laughs> now you say she got the word added to the dictionary. Is that just because she used it and it became very popular, or did she have a hand? Did she go up to Miriam Webster and be like, look, I made this cool word. It's pretty awesome. What do you think? And they went, hmm, you're right. First off, it was the Oxford English Dictionary that first put it in there. Okay. And secondly, it was because of how popular she made the term. Okay. I know they do this like word of the year thing, right? Where sometimes they go, wow, everyone's talking about emoji now. Let's add emoji to the dictionary. Or like, you know, every year they pick a certain word. Was it something like that? Uh, maybe. It sounds very likely. All I know is that uh, she wasn't the first one to use the term. Fun little also spin cycle in a weird way. <laughs> oh. The first one to use it was Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he came up. He's a deleted scene. He was the first one to use it, but she used it, or Destiny's Child used it on their third studio album, Survivor. And it was so popular worldwide that in 2004, Oxford English Dictionary said, you know what? It's a word now. Wow, wait, 2004 is way earlier than I thought. <laughs> Can you just, how does Oxford English Dictionary define bootylicious, technically? <clears throat> parentheses, of a woman, parentheses, sexually attractive. Well, that seems like it's a little lacking. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a totally accurate definition for what the word describes. Tend to agree. Oh, uh, Merriam-Webster has a slightly different definition. Oh, good. Yeah, what's this one? Voluptuously sexy and attractive. Oh, it's a little better. It's a little better. There's just all these definitions are really lacking the booty component. Oh, that's voluptuously. Eh. Usually when you're referring to something being voluptuous, it's in regards to the booty. No, it's not. No. Okay, we're going down a definition rabbit hole. <laughs> voluptuous is defined as curvaceous and sexually attractive. AKA from the booty. Okay, I, I don't know. You said she wasn't the first one to use it. So I can understand that she made it immensely more popular, but is that what technically got it added to the dictionary? Good question. Is it even in the dictionary? I guess I don't even know that. <laughs> I'm just taking everything you say at face value. <laughs> I guess I'm going to say this is a fact. It just seems to make sense. This is a spin. <laughs> no. Ba -ba -ba -bum. You know, I didn't get spun on Bootylicious. Oh. You got spun on Bootylicious. Fun fact. I thought it was a fact when I first found it because there's a lot of people who think that's the case. 
but Merriam-Webster added the word bootylicious to the dictionary back in 1994. Oh my gosh. And therefore, it is not Beyonce who made it a word, even though a lot of people tend to think that because she's the one that really made it popular. I told you. I told you Merriam-Webster was on it. Uh-huh. Well, you want to know some other words that came out in ni- that became words in 1994? I'm looking at a list of them. Sure. Teach me a handful of 1994 words. Some good ones that I see here. Botox. Oh. Cyber terrorism. Friend zone. Very different vibes. Dot <laughs> <laughs> com. Webcam. Zeptosecond. What? Universal serial bus, aka USB. And flesh-eating bacterium. What? As <laughs> <laughs> separate words. <laughs> QR code. We don't have to. Popo. We don't have to go through all the cyber citizen <laughs> list. Cyber cafe. Well, that's interesting. Now we know Beyonce <laughs> did not get a word added to the dictionary. At least not bootylicious. Even though she's credited for it a lot. Yeah. Well, darn. That fact was not bootylicious. <laughs> Pick another number. Let's roll it back to number one. She has an insect named after her. If it's true, this will be the third namesake insect (laughs) from the podcast. What's the insect's name? Scaptia Beyonce. Okay. Okay. Just another like Johnny Cashy moment where the scientist just went, eh, this spider's pretty bootylicious, I guess. Let's name it. (laughs) What's the bug? A fly. So the Johnny Cashy would eat the Gaptia Beyonce. Right. A fly. What's special about this fly and its discovery? It's the all-time diva of flies. Okay, how so? It has a unique golden hairs on its abdomen. Whoa, that's cool. Yeah. And that, and that makes it a diva? Does it behave <laughs> like a diva? I don't know what the researchers said. And when did they discover this and subsequently name it? 2012. 2012. I don't know what else to ask. Has Beyonce commented on this at all for some reason? Not that I'm aware of. Maybe I'll reach out to her. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that'll happen. That'll work. Oh, I I don't know. This feels like a spin. Feels like a spin. Well, hold on. The flip side of that. Whoa, he's thinking about changing his mind, folks. The flip side of me thinking it sounds like a spin is like, why would you do the scientific name thing? That feels like a strange one to make up. Why would I? I don't know. I just have to stick with spin. I just have to walk in spin again. This is a fact. I should have known. I thought maybe you just like thought you could easily turn Beyonce into a scientific like nomenclature. I wrote this one off. I was like, we've talked about so many animals being named after artists that like I gotta use this one. It's cool. I was like, he'll know it's true. I just kind of wrote this one off as a free point for you, and then I still got the point. I'm on fire. Can't stop me. You're the Beyonce. You're the ultimate diva. I'm bootylicious. No, no, I don't have that. Hit me with number four. With number four. Oh, this is the perfect order to do these. She made a costly mistake on stage. Costly in a monetary sense? Like something expensive happened? Yeah. Ooh, what happened? She threw expensive jewelry into the crowd. No. Oh, (laughs) that's not good. First of all, how expensive was the jewelry? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Let's play everybody's second favorite game show. Guess that dollar amount. Darn you. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know much about jewelry prices, Mm -hmm. but Beyonce also probably doesn't care much about jewelry prices. Like Jay-Z is one of the like top 1200 Mm -hmm. richest people in the world. And Beyonce is right there with him. I'm going to guess just starter estimate $100,000 higher $200,000 higher $500,000. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's calm down (laughs) much too high. All right. See, now (laughs) you're doing it back to me. I guess this is just fair. Uh, I'm not doing, I'm doing it to you for the first time oh 
Three hundred thousand dollars. Lower. Two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Nailed it right on the spot. That's a quarter million dollars. Mistake. Yeah. Man, <laughs> what was it? Like a necklace, a bracelet, pair of earrings. Pair. That's two. Yeah. How does that happen? I mean, to say she made this mistake, did she not realize <laughs> what she was doing, or did she not realize that they were expensive? No, she knew they were expensive. They were two hundred fifty thousand dollar pair of Lorraine Schwartz earrings, and she purposely threw them into the crowd. But that's not a mistake. Well, the mistake was throwing them in the first place. You could purposely do something and it'd be a mistake. The problem was she became so emotionally caught up in the performance that she just kind of impromptu decided to take them off and throw them into the crowd. Oh, like a heat of the moment. <laughs> kind of like have a souvenir thing. Yeah. Yeah. She, and she said later she couldn't even explain why she did it. She just was so caught up in the moment. It was the only logical thing to do. Wow. Is it the only logical thing to do? Okay. <laughs> and who catches these? Do we know? Do they get both of them or just one? One lucky fan. Okay. Did they keep them or? Well, that one lucky fan became an unlucky fan when Beyonce's cousin went and retrieved the earrings back. Oh, they took them back. I mean, understandable. Yeah, they were like, sorry. <laughs> okay, but did the fan at least get to like... I don't know, high five Beyonce or something. Like, did they at least give you a little souvenir instead? I don't know. Oh, that'd be so tough. Yeah. Has she done things like this before? Is this like a habitual tossing of things into the audience that just... Well, this is the first time something like this has happened. But this move is one of the events that led to Beyonce creating her onstage alter ego. Really? Onstage alter ego like Sasha Fierce? Sasha Fierce, exactly. Interesting. This is one of the key moments that led to that alter ego being formed. Wow. This is a wild one. I don't know what to make of this. We're ramping up. Uh-huh. You called me the master of the ramp earlier. I did. You're familiar with the ways of the ramp. I think I'm going to say that this one is a fact. Going with fact. I have a sneaky suspicion that is totally not a fact. But yeah, I'm going with fact. All right. This is a fact. Uh, a fact. <laughs> I did it. I got one. I got a factor spin point. It'd be better if I got a $250,000 pair of earrings, but I'll take what I can get. <laughs> Yeah, and you've set yourself up. You can still go 50-50 if you get this last one. We are on quite a 50-50 streak, well, of two episodes. Yeah. But still. And, you know, I thought, since we're on kind of another streak of forgotten birthdays. Listen, I remember Duke Ellington's birthday. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that we all forgot an important birthday or anniversary, if is probably the better word. What anniversaries? It was the anniversary of two legendary facts that are still out in the wild to be true about someone uh-uh those happened over a year ago as of like april wow something yeah i guess they did and uh, it's time for one of them to to show back up wow <laughs> and that's she caused someone to lose their seat on a plane to a hat she caused it <laughs> oh i thought for a minute it was gonna be ryan the ghost i even told myself earlier <laughs> in the day i was like i bet he brings ryan the ghost back no ryan the ghost Beyonce made someone lose their seat to a hat. Sure did. In the past... We've had a couple different versions of the hat. We have. But in all the past versions of the hat fact, the artist has been the one losing their seat. Yep. This one's different. Also, the previous times this showed up were in the Radiohead episode, episode 53, and the Gabrielle Applin episode, episode 42. The original one. Yes. If you're curious about past instances. So, what's the deal? Why is this hat flying on a plane? Is she trying to get it from point A to point B? Is she flying with it? Surely. She is not flying flying with it she's trying to get it to her and instead of 
shipping it to herself somehow or doing anything with it, she decides the most efficient way to get this hat from point A to point B is to put it on a commercial flight. Correct. With a ticket to sit in the seat. There was a person also in the seat, but yeah. Oh, so she didn't, whoever lost their seat didn't lose their seat to the hat. They lost it to someone else carrying the hat. With the sole purpose of bringing the hat. <laughs> a hat bringer, right. That The person was simply there to escort the hat. How does the seat mix-up happen? Is it just, again, the plane was oversold and the hat has to get to Beyonce? We're really putting the cart before the horse here, but yes. Okay. What's the cart? Well, what's the horse? Well, no, you need Sorry, to know what the, we horses. Know the horses. There you go. I'm putting the cart before the horse. Yes. <laughs> so the horse in this in this metaphor, let's go back. Uh, let's quickly talk about the album art. Yes. Beyonce riding a horse. Beyonce riding a horse. Very shiny, reflective horse. Yeah. And in some of the images, specifically the announcement image. A cowboy hat. The cowboy hat. The reflective cowboy hat. Oh. It is that hat that we are talking about on this day. That's a worthy hat to lose a plane seat for. Do you have any facts about the hat? Like what it's made of? Sure do. Tell them. Tell them all. I will not be asking specifics. Fair enough. Our story begins in the basement of Abby Misbin. Okay. In suburban Pennsylvania. Misbin calls this basement the Hat Bunker. Nice. Where she runs a little Etsy shop selling custom-made cowboy hats. Yeah. Beyonce sees these hats and goes, I love them. I want one. Absolutely. It'll go perfect with the photo shoot we're getting ready to do. And it does. So she makes this hat. The hat has approximately 15,000 mirror tiles. Like a disco ball. That she individually glues to the hat. It's pretty awesome. She said she stayed up all night to make the hat. As you would. And sold it to her for $250. Whoa. Yeah. And then Beyonce's stylist paid for her plane ticket to get the hat to them literally next day. Wow. That is overnight shipping. (laughs) The fastest and cheapest way to get it there was to just say, here's a plane ticket. Come on out and deliver us the hat in person. That's awesome. That's so cool. So the hat bringer is the hat maker. Yes. And how did someone lose their seat to this? Did they have to buy the seat off of somebody? Yes. And so now back to the cart. Right. Gets there. Plane's overbooked. Yeah. Classic plane move. Classic plane. Originally, Misbin is set to be delayed to a different flight. Yeah, but you need the hat. But Beyonce needs the hat. So she asks the people around her, like, can you trade me? I need to be on this plane. I'm delivering Beyonce's hat. I mean, okay, first of all. People did not believe her. I was going to say, first of all, (laughs) I wouldn't buy that for a second. That sounds like a lie. People did not believe it. So she pulls out the emails and is like, see, look, here's my proof. And she like gets the stylist on the phone is like, hey, here's the problem. And the stylist says, hand the phone to the person you're talking to. And purportedly, according to this interview, the stylist offered to send that person some signed Beyonce merchandise if they traded places with Misbin. Wow. So they could get the hat to the photo shoot. That's awesome. They definitely gave the earring girl something. Uh, Probably. Going back to that one. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Well, it is there, but it's not here. Uh, But what is here and or there, depending on how you look at it, is the hat. The hat makes it there on time. Right. Photo shoot happens and causes a craze for Misbin. People go like searching for where this hat came from. They find her little store and they like tweet at Beyonce like, is this the hat? And Beyonce's like, yeah, that's the hat. Wow. And she ends up racking up 2,300 sales for this hat and 700 followers on Instagram in like a week. Yeah, that's 
That's a lot. <laughs> and she did it all by hand. Yeah. She would list several more fresh hats online every Friday morning, and buyers would snatch them up within 15 minutes. Each hat takes about four hours to make. Wow. People were like asking what the lead times were for this, and she's like, it's like two to three month lead time for the Beyonce hat. Yeah. Is that the story? The whole story? The, so I could go on. There's some other interesting details, but for time's sake, we will cut it off there. Okay. And when did this happen? February of 2022. Or at least that's when the stuff was released. I actually just don't know when this happened. If the photo shoot was February. Press for time. It was probably January or February. That is so tricky. I don't know when she announced Renaissance, but this fact is so close to predating the actual fact. The Gabrielle Applin episode came out on April 29th, 2022. Mm -hmm. Like two months after this hat thing happened. Mm -hmm. Would people have known about it then? Were you paying attention then? I can say whatever the heck I want. I don't know if it'll convince you or unconvince you, but there was a craze for these hats. And yes, I stumbled across it. That is my story. I'm sticking to it. (laughs) And I was like, this is insane. We're definitely going to do Beyonce at some point. I'm going to bring this fact up. Wow. You now have to decide, am I telling the truth? Oh my gosh. I don't know. I don't think this is true. You don't think it's true? I don't think the dates line up. I know the album was a summer album. I know she didn't do a ton Mm -hmm. of lead up before the first single came out. We're talking like Mm. maybe a month from the album announcement to Break My Soul. And I don't know if promotional stuff would have come out five months ahead of that. Mm. I think the Gabrielle Applin fact happened too soon. I think Beyonce ordered this hat. I think all that stuff is true. I don't believe the plain part. And I don't think anybody had to lose their seat to get it. Okay. I think this is a very tricky spin. This is a fact this is- <laughs> that I turned into a spin. Oh! <laughs> so it's not true. It is not technically true the hat the hat part's true (laughs) you sussed it out the hat part is true all the details about the hat are true up until the plane she did make it overnight spent all night making it but then just next day shipped it but that was really great what a believable (laughs) way to reintroduce (laughs) that fact i really thought it had a chance of getting you it did if the Gabrielle Applin one had come, I mean, three months later, that would have sold me. If the original fact had come three months later, I would have been all in. I was a little worried about that. I almost told you you weren't allowed to go look, but I was like, he can just probably backdate it in his head. And that's also super suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. Uh, and actually, she wore the disco ball cowboy hat during the Renaissance tour announcement in February 2023. Mm. And that's when the craze happened. But I backdated it to February 2022, so that it would seem like it was happening right around the time I came up with the original. Yes. Yeah, that was good. And you can go buy a similar one on Etsy for $112.50. Perfect. There you go. We did go 50-50 after all. We did go 50-50, but... Again, I think that is patting myself on the back here, as I love to do as the next taper. Yes. Really legendary way to bring that fact back around. It was. That was tough. Still waiting on you to bring one of the two artists for those two facts. We will. There's no way we don't do them at some point. There's a lot of artists out there. Maybe they'll come in the year of healing. <laughs> we'll finally get our closure. Maybe they will. I'm glad I recovered on those last two. That I had a rough start this week, but you know what? I said, you won't break my soul. And I went on and came back. But with that, I'm out of here. I've got to really prep for next week. I, I'm going to come with some really good ones for next week. Yeah, whatever you say. So you better bring your A game. <laughs> I, I don't need to bring my A game. It's already there. I've already brought it. All right. I hope that's true. But until then... 
There he goes, off into the night, scampering away like a like a like a scamper. One who scamps. Yeah, I think scamp is a verb. Anything can be a verb if you want. Let's talk about the album art on Renaissance quickly because again we have sixteen tracks. Let's do it. Lightning horse, almost naked Beyonce. What else is there to say? What else? That's, that's about what there is to say. <laughs> it's a striking album cover. They revealed it shortly after she announced the album. Electrifying, striking like a lightning strike. Yeah, it. She's riding on a holographic crystal horse, and people have compared it to an 1898 painting called Lady Godiva. Heard of that? You've heard of it. That's cool. Or am I just thinking of the chocolate? Like Godiva chocolate? Isn't there a chocolate called Godiva? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that might be what I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, it's not inspired by the chocolate. It's inspired by the painting. Yeah, it was definitely the chocolate. I've not seen this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Good to know. Let's kick it off. We've got 16 tracks. The very first one is I'm That Girl. What happened in your brain when you pressed play on this album? What were you expecting? And what did it deliver? I immediately thought of the song. Uh, I don't know what it's called. It might even be called what I'm about to say. But what I'm going to refer to it as is the I'm Not That Girl song. <laughs> okay. What song is that? It's the opposite of that. She- from Wicked. Oh, from Wicked. She is that girl, though. Yeah. Beyonce's saying I'm that girl. Yeah, well, but I saw I'm That Girl and I immediately went to the I'm Not That Girl song from wicked whatever that's called right so then you know i hit play and i got hit with please mother fs ain't stop i was like whoa that's not what i expected at all it's an interesting wind up into the album but it's a pretty triumphant opening track and a return to putting out music for beyonce it was successful too the song debuted at number 26 on the billboard hot 100 and that sample that you talked about at the beginning is from a 1994 song called still pimpin by tommy wright the third and the vocal is from princess loco they're a pair of rap pioneers from memphis and just to interject it early because it comes up a lot this kind of really broad sampling is something the record relies on a lot it not only helps beyonce pay homage to artists and musical influences that she loves but it also ties these songs to different time periods different emotions different places that they couldn't otherwise reach and i feel like for me at least a lot of the record got a lot better when i started looking into the samples and why they picked the sounds and the tracks that they did it's pretty cool yeah it's it's, ah my chair oh gosh ah (laughs) just break your chair no you said that maybe unconfidently (laughs) hang on sure feels like maybe it's broken like the back doesn't stay oh there we go the screw was just loose okay fixed lyrically the song's high energy it's defiant it's assertive it's confident we get a lot of early very direct glimpses into what the rest of the record is kind of gonna be it's okay lyrically here's the thing i discovered coming through this album preparing for this episode the fine tooth comb on the lyrics is not the way to go through this album (laughs) yeah it will leave you a little disappointed. Now, that's not to say there aren't good lyrics or good moments, and she does no. get into some interesting metaphors and some good wordplay, but on the whole, that's not what this album is about, and it shows. Too bad. When you're trying to compare two albums, lyrics are something you got to take into account, whether it's what it's meant to be about or not. Yeah, it's true. And it, yeah. it can't be overlooked. Yeah. And there was a little disappointment on this track specifically um, from a musical standpoint, too. Really? What's that? The way she sings the line from the top of the morning, I shine, is so good. Yeah. But it does. she doesn't, like, lean into that more the rest of the verse. Like, I wanted more of that. 
Like that would have been such a good like little um, way to break up the rest of this high energy song with more of that melodic kind of gliding singing. Yeah, like break it up and give you a little a little reprieve before back into the high energy stuff. But it was really just that one line or set of lines. Yeah, I think because this album is more of a house music like bounce dance focused album, the melodies do kind of take a back seat a lot. And so when she leans into it, it gets better. But yeah, it definitely feels like this whole album was written to be played in a club. Yes, it does. And that was intentional. And actually, that's one of the things I love the most about it. And club music, while great for in the club, not great for most non-club settings, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing you spend so much time in the clubs then. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, you got lucky, Beyonce. But that's it, too. You're right. End-to-end the album is an experience piece, and it is meant to be like club music. So the way that they produced it, they stitched all these tracks together seamlessly, like it's a set from a DJ at a club. So that's like the what the music is emulating. It's the experience, end-to-end. Yeah, real cozy. And we roll so smoothly out of I'm That Girl into cozy. Now, in the olden days, you used to... <laughs> Sometimes, like, zone out at the end of songs and then, like, snap back in in the middle of the next track. Yep. Even on songs that did a harder cut. Did that plague you with this album? Sure did. (laughs) Some of these times, I'm familiar with the songs and the splits, and sometimes I find myself in the next song unsurprised. It didn't happen early. I was going to bring that up later because at the beginning, I was in it. I was listening, but halfway through, we started to run into that problem. Yeah. Let's talk about Cozy. This song didn't do as well as I'm That Girl, somehow. And it only made it to number 30 on his chart debut. But it only has 2 million less Spotify plays, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, if, if that's your sole metric. It's one It's one of my main metrics. I like Cozy a lot better than I'm That Girl. I also agree with you. Well, good. Yeah, it's the song with actual, some, like, lyrical substance and a big message to say. Instead of I'm That Girl, which is kind of just this assertion of a track, Cozy actually, like, has a point to make. It's all about body image and being comfortable in your skin. And aside from the chorus, where she makes that explicitly clear, she mentions it in a lot of the verses, too, through roundabout imagery and and metaphors that I really like. It's a lot stronger lyrically on the album. Verse 2 is also super cool. She uses these syllables in this back and forth. She goes, been down, been up, been broke, broke down, bounce back, and so on and so forth. I just really like the way those words hit, that, like, the similar phrases put into different contexts and she does it again on this one in the pre-course the she's a god she's a hero it gets actual singing and not just like rave club chant singing i like when she does when she does more of what she's doing in the pre-course and on that verse too Mm -hmm. i love the pre-course too and every time she gives it to me i'm like please give me more (laughs) yeah it's so good and i think cozy does a better job at just in general having more drawn out moments and singing parts than i'm that girl and especially than some stuff we'll get into later it's nice i agree again though just focus on the broad ideas because if you start getting into individual lyrics like we do on this podcast i mean again they'll have their good moments but but you run into i'm swaggy uh i'm cozy with who i am paint the world just those lines just don't work on a micro scale for me so i'm tending to focus more on concepts on music on production because that's really just where it's the strongest on a grand scale it's okay it's good it's a concept piece on a smaller scale it's a long album with a lot of lyrics 
and I don't know if they all deliver. But Cozy's nice. Cozy's one of the better songs on the album, in my opinion. I like it a lot. And the song ends with another sample of a song called Unique by an Australian DJ called Danube Dance. And that becomes the bass for the next track, Alien Superstar, which is all about being unique. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. I was sitting here listening to Cozy to remind myself of it. Mm-hmm. And I was listening to you talk. And the next thing you know, I was 45 seconds into Alien Superstar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See? That's how smooth and seamless the album is. Especially Cozy to Alien Superstar. And it's really because at the end, like you said, unique. Unique is what you are. Mm-hmm. Which is what you were talking about. And then it was like you said that right as the pre-chorus of Alien Star went unique. Yeah. It was like, oh, you said the exact same thing the song said. And then I looked. I was like, wait, I'm on track three. How did that happen? It's the good timing. <laughs> Alien Superstar. Yeah, it samples that unique song. And I went back and listened to it because, you know, the samples that these songs use are often so cool. And I think they help me understand exactly how and why an artist has latched onto a song and modified or used it in some way. So I really have been liking going back and listening to the samples. This original song, Unique, doesn't have a lot of meat on its bones lyrically, but it's so groovy. It's so solid on its own. And Alien Superstar feels like the most natural expansion of the track, which is so well done. So I really have to commend that. And we've talked about songs that have the same sentiment as Alien Superstar before. Oddly specifically, right? Do you remember Lil Wayne, his phone home song where he says he's not like other people. He's on such another level that he's a Martian. This is kind of what Beyonce saying. She's on such another high level. She is an alien superstar, not from this world. I like this one. I do too. It's among my favorite tracks on the album. The album starts so strong for me. I mean, there are a lot of songs in the beginning, at least beginning half, maybe beginning two thirds that I like a lot more than I like the latter half. And maybe that's just the consequence of like starting the album more, hearing them more often. I don't know. But either way, I like it. Some of the lyrics in the chorus, you know, I'm too classy for this world, too classy to be touched. I paid them all in dust. Those are worked in from a song by Right Said Fred called I'm Too Sexy. Yeah, good song. And the song's outro features more homages and tributes to people that have inspired Beyonce throughout the years. It's a speech by writer Barbara Ann Tier, who passed away in 2008. Again, the record is just so full of depth. Oh. Love it. But not lyrics. <laughs> Sometimes this stretch of Cozy Alien Superstar and then Cuff It is a really good run. Yeah. I like all three of those. Cuff It is just a party song here. We're, we're just going to fall in love and have a great night because why not, you know? Because why not? The beat behind this one really drives that message home because I think this is maybe like a highlight moment for the early album. The bass is incredible. Yeah. The background vocals, really something cool. And this one was the most popular. Peaked as high as number six on the Hot 100 charts. It's a good one. I like this one. I know. It makes you want to dance, doesn't it? I'm dancing right now. Yeah. See? Ooh la 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 la. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly <laughs> how this song goes. I don't have many notes on it. It's fine. Like this whole album, it's a bit mindless. It's also the only one I think I've heard before listening to this. Really? The chorus specifically. That kind of surprises me. It's not the album's most popular song. Really? I thought you said it was. I thought you literally just said it was. <laughs> no, no, no. But- I'm pretty certain you just verbatim told me it was the the album's most popular song, ranking in at number six. It went to number six, but I never heard anybody talk about it. You're not allowed to edit around this. You gotta leave it in, and we need to rewind back to where, like, literally 30 seconds ago, you said, this song was the most popular one on the album. No, of the first four is what I'm saying. Okay. At least I'm pretty sure remembering that's what I meant. Well, we'll find out when you <laughs> play it right now. <laughs> 
This stretch of cozy alien superstar and then cuff it is a really good run. Yeah. This one was the most popular. Peaked as high as number six on the Hot 100 charts. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a mindless song like most good party songs out there kind of tend to be. But I, I think it's a good one for what it is. Up next is Energy featuring Beam. It's one of only two songs on the album that outright features another artist. And it was Beyonce's first time working with Beam. Like an energy beam. <laughs> like a beam of energy. Very fitting. There's also a bit of interesting history with this song. Yeah. Do you know the song Milkshake by Khalees? Like, maybe. Like, my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Oh, I, that's what I thought. You're, I was like, is that the one he's referencing? <laughs> that's the one I'm referencing. This song interpolated milkshake when it came out in its early days. Beyonce's legal team thought ahead. They listed her as a writer on the song so she would get all the royalties she deserved. Without her permission? Without her permission. They never contacted her about it. I guess one of her early contracts was a little bit heavy-handed in what publishers were allowed to do with her songs, whether she had any say in them or not. So, Mm. song comes out. Suddenly, she's a (laughs) co-writer. She said, I don't like this. So, she spoke out about it, wasn't happy. Beyonce actually changed the song on streaming platforms and removed the interpolation. Very cool move. A+. Well, the cool move would have been just to get her permission to do it in the first place. But Well, yeah. Good backup move. Backup plan. (laughs) You're right. Well, I guess she thought she had her permission. I mean, the label okayed it. Mm. Energy's all right. It's got such a strong kick drum to it. And I think they leveraged that really well to find times when the kick drum drops out for emphasis. It's cool. It's a nice exercise in negative space. Also, she really likes the phrase ooh la la la. It comes up more than a few times. It comes up a lot. (laughs) And ooh la lot. (laughs) Ooh la lot. (laughs) I love that. Did you do the thing on this album where you pick a favorite featured artist? I did not. You only have three options. Yeah. I also really, never mind, we transitioned into the next song already. (laughs) I was about to point something out, and then I looked, and I was 15 seconds in to break my soul. We will get there. Awkward. (laughs) In the meantime, again, once again, put that fine tooth comb away. You're going to run into lyrics like pop, 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 dot, 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 more ooh-la-las. It is what it is. Don't think about it too hard. And it is bad. It's fine. Energy on its own is a little bit dismissible, but... It's a little lacking in energy. (laughs) Well, maybe. But it's kind of the perfect little two-minute interlude that separates Cuff It from another of the album's cornerstone tracks, Break My Soul. More yaka yakas and la la la's. I think it's the first instance of yaka yakas, just to be fair. Probably on the whole podcast. (laughs) We literally just on beam had yaka yaka. Thank you very much. Did we? So check yourself. Well, that's the the transition part. That's the part where it's moving into Break My Soul. I'm just saying it was on the previous song. All right, all right. Yeah, the transition between these songs... Once again. I hope everybody's got their fruit salads. Fruit salads. Yummy, yummy. It says, release your wiggle. Oh, like the wiggles. Yeah. Like the wiggles. Fruit salad. Who's holding yummy, one of the wiggles yummy. captive? Free him. Uh, <laughs> everybody's got a wiggle captured inside of them. Just screaming to get out. Release, release your wiggle. wiggle. Now I'm just imagining like a rapper who's like doing a hostage negotiation. Just like, release your wiggle. Uh, it's a rapper cop. Talking to mm-hmm. a criminal who's holding a wiggle hostage. Hostage, yeah. Go release your wiggle. <laughs> Very complicated. I mean, that sample is so distinct. <laughs> it's from a 2014 song called Explode, 
by the artist Big Frida, who worked a lot on Beyonce's previous giant hit, Formation. And it also takes some of its instrumentals throughout the song from a dance song by Robin S. called Show Me Love. And to hear both those samples, it just blows me away how a producer can envision them blending and coming together in this one powerful moment. I love it. Like the Avengers. Yeah, this is an Avengers album. All the different music that Beyonce likes and listens to assembled into Renaissance. Breaking my souls are going. Yeah, it is. It was a juggernaut. I like the beat to this one. The bum, 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 ba dum, ba da bum, bum. Yes. <laughs> Did it get repetitive for you at all, Mr. Repetitivity Guy? Nah. Good. I think it's right on the brink for me. Borderline. It wasn't that it was repetitive. It was just long. Yes. I mean, people like to call Beyonce like the queen, right? I think of all of her discography that I've heard so far, Break My Soul is darn close to the place where I see that the most. I don't know. I haven't by any means listened to all of her stuff or even most of it, but this is a solid track. Or like any of it. This song was a juggernaut. It was the lead single from the album, and it was darn near a surprise drop. Fans only got a couple hours notice on the internet before Break My Soul dropped, and that surprise didn't stop it from debuting at number 15 and climbing pretty quickly to number one within a few weeks, which I'd like to point out is higher than number six on Cuff It. No, that's fine. I'm just saying you said it was the most popular. <laughs> Maybe I didn't articulate what I was trying to express clearly enough, but uh, Break My Soul was Beyonce's 12th number one hit. That's a dozen. That's a full album of number one hits. That is a dozen. It's also already been certified platinum less than a year after its release, which is awesome. Most impressive. Most impressive. And as you already know, this past year, it did win a Grammy for best dance slash electronic recording. So the Academy says it too. The next song too is also a little bit about releasing your wiggle. Church Girl (laughs) is track seven. Whoa. Am I wrong? Listen, look at the words. I am looking, and uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fittingly, Church Girl samples a gospel song from 1981. It debuted at number 22 back in August. And we revisit a couple of familiar ideas and lyrics here, too. Starting on verse one with, once again, I've been up, I've been down, just like on Cozy. Some of those standard party lyrics, but instead of this house-infused dance anthem, this one gets to be a hip-hop gospel song, and it takes on this new context of a church girl cutting loose a little bit, or a lot of bit. What do you think, uh, compared to, like, the first five songs? Is this one better? Is this one worse? Nah, this is about the time the bleed effect started. Where it all just started to sound the same? Like, it all ran together? Yeah. Yeah, it didn't make me start to bleed. No, you didn't. No, I didn't assume that. It's like the opposite of my ears smiling. They're smiling or they're (laughs) bleeding. That's a rough way to live. Yeah. What are you going to do? It's a unique song on the record. I like the expansion of the album's parameters. It's fine. That's Church Girl is a solid continuation of the energy. Church Girl exists. Sure does. But hey, ballad guy. Yeah. uh, If you're still the ballad guy. You know I am. Plastic Off the Sofa might be your track. Might be. Was it? Can't tell you. Well, Plastic Off the Sofa, at the halfway point of this album, it's a very tender, very personal song on an album that so far has either been pretty lightly impersonal or very like adamant and in your face so far. It's a brand new lyrical and thematic dimension, which I really like. And not for nothing, it's also a newer style of singing for her. It's a lot breathier, 
really smooth, a lot of vocal runs, impressive technically, and a song that's full of all those things that you said you liked in small bursts on the previous tracks. Yeah. It's all about her relationship with Jay-Z, and uh, to be honest, it reads a little more like free verse poetry than song lyrics that are kind of backed by a really easy R&B song. It's so different than everything else on the album so far. I can't stress enough how much of a standout, or at least standout in a set-apart sense track it kind of is. The bridge, I thought, on Plastic Off the Sofa was incredible, but so hidden. One of the best bits on the album, and it's so easy just to not even catch it. Yeah. Plastic Off the Sofa ends, and that soft, tender love song is followed by the album's longest track. It's seamless, but a bit more jarring than the rest. Ugh. Oh, that sigh. Or more of a groan. Was it a good sigh or a bad sigh? No, that was a groan. Was it a good groan or a bad groan? No, that was a bad groan. You don't know my groans. <laughs> I can kind of take a guess. Virgo's groove is kind of a wild one. It takes us back to outer space, like Alien Superstar. It's techy, blippy, very atmospheric. I just can't picture you liking this song in a way that makes you good groan. Well, I'm going to like it even harder now. This is, was it a good groan? No, it wasn't. <laughs> I was going to say, Virgo's groove, you know, Beyonce is a Virgo, and this song is about how she grooves. Yeah. Like, intimately. But not about how she moves. That's coming up. No. This song... <laughs> is long and is kind of intense and to be honest it's a little uncomfy lyrically it doesn't pull very many or any punches you took the plastic off the sofa and realized the sofa wasn't very comfortable yeah maybe it's a pretty sucky sofa yeah it doesn't pull any punches really it doesn't drop any euphemisms like it says what it's trying to say you know it's enough to make your grandma blush that probably takes a lot less than this song to be honest it's another song though where i really appreciate the instrumentals especially as usual the bass working overtime on this whole record what'd you think about move when i saw that title i immediately went to i like to move it move it from me too i'm ashamed to admit that i also did (laughs) (laughs) oh for once you actually did the same dumb word association i did it's hard not to yeah Growing up in our era. Anyone that grew up in our time can't see the word move without going there. Especially not as a song title. Yeah. The song is based around Afro beats. It's got a really unique rhythm to it that I like. And apparently, what I saw on the internet, the features from Grace Jones and from Thames marks the first time that a Beyonce album track has featured two female artists. Wow. It wasn't a super standout track on release. It only hit number 55 on the Hot 100. Only in quotation marks. That's still obviously quite a a feat. But to me, I think Move is particularly at least memorable, if only because of the chant style of it. I don't know. I didn't care for the verse with the move, 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 skirt, make room. I, I, I didn't care for that. Yeah, it's not your thing, I don't think. No. In fact, I would, I would call it actively something that you dislike. <laughs> I think if my track record is to be believed, yeah. Yeah. It's another aggressive party song, all about how she and her girls are trying to find space on a crowded dance floor, telling people to move out the way. It's a high-energy song, and I can appreciate it for that, but while the general chant of it is cool, I just don't think there's a lot that the song has to offer beyond that. Tend to agree. It does have one thing to offer. Is it a reference to the dance style called Bruck Up, which is a Jamaican dance style that came about in the early 90s because his creator, George Adams, had a bone infection that led to his unique style of dancing? Yes. It does offer that. You're right. Because it definitely does not offer my favorite feature on the album. That goes to Beam. Beam wins the favorite feature. Way to make us wait 
like six tracks for that. Well, I didn't. If I gave it away, then there was nothing to look forward to for move. <laughs> oh, true, true. You're right. You had to move it out the way to here. <laughs> I just didn't want it to get heated before we had all the information. Yeah, right. Heated is track 11. Now, when I told people we were doing this, I'm going to randomly throw this in here. When I told people we were doing this, uh, that we were doing Beyonce, people asked if we were doing Lemonade. I really thought about it. I really did. But I would have done Lemonade, except for the Grammys. Lemonade was almost certainly going to be my Beyonce pick until the Grammy episode. And then I wanted to do this one so we could compare it to the actual Grammy winner. I see. Like I said, Lemonade scored pretty well. Got 150 on my rankings list. What'd you tell him? Did you tell him no? I told them I don't know. This was before I'd listened to it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, if we did it, see, we just talked about last week, Justin Timberlake going full lime. So maybe really in a citrus period if we went to Lemonade this week. That would have been awesome. When life gives you limes. Listen to Lemonade. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do that next time we get to talk about Justin Timberlake and Beyonce back to back. Deal. Great. Good deal. Was there a point to that story? No. Oh. (laughs) Okay. Just checking because it kind of just petered off. I didn't want to like interrupt it, but. No, it just came to me. You just remembered now. Okay. Heated, I think, is one of my favorite songs on the last half of the album. I agree. I love the harmonies on it. The whole chorus is pretty great. The song's built around a Drake demo, debuted at number 51 on the Hot 100, and just to emphasize, she dominated the chart that week. Are you realizing, like, every single song that we're talking about charted at this, charted at that, number six, number one, number 50, number, you know, like, every song on this album was on the charts. That's impressive. Not surprising. No, not surprising at all. Kids be clubbing. Heated is definitely, ironically, a cool-off session for Move. You know, she's heated. She's got to fan herself off. Talks about all the ways that she shows off her wealth and fame. Kind of flaunts her style. Kind of a better executed version of I'm That Girl, thematically. I also love the little melody in the lyrics on the pre-chorus. Only a real one could tame me. Only the radio could play me. That's really clever. And she also gives a nod to her late Uncle Johnny, who made her high school prom dress. Which I don't think we mentioned at the beginning of the episode when we talked about the album. She dedicated the entire album to her uncle. Some uncle. Yeah. My sister's kids better do that someday. Well, if your sister's kids are Beyonce, I mean, maybe they will. I don't care if they're Beyonce or not. They just better dedicate something to me. Everyone be on the lookout for Connor's nieces and nephews hippin' and hoppin' album two. <laughs> My sister has to have a kid first. Yeah, I guess that's the thing the audience doesn't know. You don't have nieces and nephews. We're just planning their future for them right now. Future nieces and nephews, you're listening to this on the iBrain 3000. Wow, what a deep cut joke. (laughs) Just know you got to dedicate something to me, future nieces and nephews. That's all that. Where I was going with that. (laughs) Yeah. One other little side note, Hida did come under fire for its original lyrics. She used the word spaz, not intentionally maliciously, of course, but people pointed out the negative connotations associated with the term related to people with disabilities. So once again, post-release, Beyonce went out of her way to change the lyrics in the song. Twice now, she's altered the album since it's been out, which I think shows that she's very intentional about listening to feedback from her fans and getting things right. It's admirable. Should that count for or against her in terms of, like, Grammy-worthiness? Having to change the album? Oh. You could look at it two ways. Like, oh, your album wasn't right the first time, so it's a negative thing not to change it. Or it can be, like, a positive thing of, like, look at what you did to make it... I don't don't know. I can see it going both ways. I think it's a positive. You know, I, I think it's a positive because the version of the album that you intend 
to have presented to the world is probably the most recent version, right? And it's not like the changes were super drastic. No. So, I mean, if I if I released an album and then filled it with 12 different tracks... Didn't lock yourself in a sports stadium and rewrite the entire album. Who would do that? Who would do that? Anyway. What track am I on? Spotify's just been playing. Oh, I'm on Thick. Thick. <laughs> <laughs> You're just listening as we go. Staying in the mood, huh? Yeah. What'd you think of Thick? I'm bouncing around in my chair right now. Don't. It's, it's gonna break. I'm, I'm at the club. That's kind of why it broke, I think. <laughs> oh, you got too into it. This is a chair-breaking good record. <laughs> Will that count for or against her? We'll find out in Vinyl Spin. We'll find out. <laughs> Thick, good luck finding any melody here. This is like a spoken word track. I mean, there's there's not much in terms of a melody. It's another song about body image, kind of like Cozy. And to me, I don't know, Thick feels a little like filler on this album. I'm not nearly as swept away by the back half of this album as the start. I mean, the whole album as a collective unit is an hour-long endeavor that I think ends up feeling the tiniest little bit bloated because of songs like this and others. Stuff like Energy. Honestly, even I'm That Girl, it's probably a hot take to say that about an album opener, but it feels a little bit like the album would be a little tighter to drop it. I don't know. I didn't get nominated for album of the year, so (laughs) clearly she knows what she's doing. But to my ear, Thick is a track I have to get through. So... Are you all up in my mind? Oh, you have nothing at all to say about Thick. Not really. (laughs) (laughs) That's how fillery it was. Yeah, I I agree with you. It's a bit of a filler track. Fair enough. Well, I'm not all up in your mind, but... If you were, you would have known I had nothing to say about Thick. I I guess that's true. See? Just proof. All up in your mind. She's trying to win someone over and keep herself on his mind all the time. Not an easy feat, probably, unless you're Beyonce, in which case that job sounds a lot easier. It's not as sweet of a love song as Plastic Off the Sofa, but it does have a really nice bit of melody that I think tends to be more memorable than its thematic companion. What'd you think? I mean, to compare those songs with what I assume is going to be among your favorites, Plastic Off the Sofa. Maybe. Maybe. I guess I don't know for sure. Is there any comparison between these two? Oh, yeah, there's some comparison. I like the beat on this one again. It's another one that's got a really good bass beat. Yeah, that's a pretty consistent feature. And it's one of those ones that's just this wall of sound that grows in intensity the entire song true all the way up till like the end when it transitions and it's one of the ones that has a weird transition it doesn't like seamlessly transition it actually like moment of silence into the next one yes it does it's a weird one but i liked all up in your mind it was in the black hole that was the second half of this album this was a shining star Shining Star. Wonderful. You had the boy band Black Hole of Boringness and Repetitivity last week. Yeah, but she's not a boy band. No, she's not. But she is... Maybe it's the Beyonce... It's the Beyonce Black Hole of Boringness and Repetitivity. I'd hardly call it boring. No, you're right. I don't even know if I'd call it that repetitive. Well, not, it depends on the song for repetitive. Yeah. It's the Beyonce Black Hole of Same Soundingness. Mmm. Some of the songs get a little samey but again i do think a lot of them break the mold i don't know they all bleed together and i think this album suffered from that effect where the order dictated what my favorites were interesting because some of the songs were more comparable and similar in either sound or theme or you know whatever and because it was the second time i was hearing something like that i gave my favoritism to what i was unique when i first heard it yeah well that makes sense and maybe that's what i did too just the back half of the album feels different the back half of the album really drops off yeah into a black hole i guess so Let's talk about America Has a Problem. (laughs) On the surface, it's a song that was a little bleh for me. But to dig into it, 
it got really interesting. It's based around a song by Kilo Ali called America Has a Problem, parentheses, cocaine. Oh. Yeah, and in that song, the lyrics talk about cocaine as if it was a woman. A very clever metaphor. But what Beyonce does here is she reverses that altogether and talks about herself like she's cocaine. All the things that her partner likes about her, how she keeps him on the hook, keeps him addicted, coming back for more. And that blew me away. Yeah. Learning that, that's where one of the instances where the samples, the legacy of the songs that she, she chooses give what she's done so much extra meaning that's what's so cool about this album yeah to me it was heated all up in your mind uh yeah kind of all up in your mind but definitely heated and america has a problem were shining moments and i guess i said that about all up in your mind so sure that one too <laughs> sure yeah i would agree with that i think those those three out of the back eight were really all i have the, we could we could just stop going right in the final spin now for all i cared but we can't because <laughs> we got two more no two more up next pure slash honey pure slash honey this song man what <laughs> it's a wild song it's a two-parter the lone example for this album not the first time beyonce's done something like this check her technique i guess to me I think the pure part of the song sounds a little too much like Move, and it says the same things we've heard a dozen times. The black hole of same song soundingness. Yeah, I, I just don't know if the pure part of the song brings anything new to the table, to the record at all, aside from pretty copious amounts of swear words. Yeah. Those are there. They're there. The honey part is a lot more melodic. I can get into the honey part a lot more, but what's with that guy that sounds like he's fresh out of the love shack? You know, who's the B-52s like guy? <laughs> That's a wild one. I like Pure Honey well enough. It's fine. The last track on the album and the album's namesake... Summer Renaissance. Is Summer Renaissance... Title track! Title track in a roundabout <laughs> way. It's a little on the nose here. This song samples Donna Summer's song, I Feel the Love. So basically, the song is all about the revival of disco, of Donna Summer's style of music. Did she tell her? Did who tell who what? Well, Beyonce just seems to have a habit of not telling people that she's using their stuff. Once. She did it one time, <laughs> and she got permission, just not from the songwriter. And she could have, I think, legally probably kept it in. She just chose to take it out. Ah, uh, fair enough. Off on a technicality. Yeah, Summer Renaissance is a whole new dimension to this album with the disco vibes, and it kind of culminates what this whole album's been about, this blending of styles and cultures and sounds, mixing past hits with present pop, R&B, hip-hop sensibilities in new ways. I like Summer Renaissance, even though it's never been super-duper memorable. Meh, I agree with the second half of that. There you have it. Well, let's get into final spin. Let's. Well, should we do scores first? I kind of want to know what you think first. Does this deserve to be in the Grammy conversation? Should it have done better? Should it have won over Harry's house? I'll be honest. I want to hear your thoughts first because I already know what you're going to say. Oh, I got a lot of thoughts. Yeah. It's one of those albums where I wanted to be very particular about what I was saying. So I wrote out my thoughts beforehand. Prepared for the recording? Yes. <laughs> I think Renaissance is really not an album that works as well piecemealed out, track by track. Like I've said a couple times, it feels like an experience that's meant to work end-to-end -end as one unit. It's a tiny little bit bloated, it's a little underperforming lyrically, and I don't think it's an album that necessarily has a ton to say or much of a point to make. Like, there are isolated tracks, right? Cozy, Break My Soul, Plastic Off the Sofa, even Thick, that make a really compelling point and engage you as a listener, 
But so many lyrics thematically, I guess I just want to say they under-deliver, you know? Like, lyrics have to be my lowest score. But the reason this album exists, where this album is absolutely the strongest, is its production. The samples are all meaningful, they're tied together incredibly well, the stylistic integration, not just from song to song, right, but the blend within some of these single songs. I'm looking at you, church girl, gospel hop. It's super compelling, super cool. So with all that in mind, my scores kind of swing wide on this album. For music, I'm giving it an 81. For lyrics, I'm giving it a 74. Instruments and production, off the charts. I mean, 94 for instruments and production. And the overall vibe, I'm giving it an 83, mostly burdened by the lyric score. That puts it at an 81.6 points overall and lands it at number 392, mostly, again, just weighed down by the lyrics. I'm so disappointed. You're disappointed? Why? What number did you just say? 392. You were so close. It, are you referring to its position relative to Plastic Hearts? I sure am. We're not in the year of healing yet, buddy. <laughs> it's above Plastic Hearts, yes. This was not better than Plastic Hearts. I can't believe you are unwilling to see the error of your ways. You gave Plastic Hearts and this the same lyric score, 74. Are you kidding me? Yes. Are you kidding me? They have the same caliber of lyrics. They are not. Absolutely not. Miley Cyrus ain't over here going ooh la la, ka 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 ka, all over the place. She had good lyrics, even if they were simpler rhymes, as you kept complaining about. They were still good lyrics that told good stories and not just a bunch of sounds and beats that sounded good in a club. Like, come on! Come on! All right, all right, all right. I said we wanted a quick final spin. Yeah, well, then you did this. (laughs) This was done long before the episode began. Ugh. So disappointed. I, this whole time hearing your scores and thinking in my head, I was like, this might be lower than plastic hearts. Anyway. <laughs> right. You done? No. <laughs> I know. As far as how much I liked it relative to Harry's house, I enjoy it as a unified body of work. I'm not sure it's got the roots to be like a long standing hit. Like in 20 years, how many of these tracks are we going to hear on the radio? I mean, how many of these tracks do we hear on the radio now? You know, I think as an album and on a production level especially, this blows Harry's house out of the water. But I think Harry's house has a lot more accessible, palatable, memorable singles that have the versatility to exist apart from the whole album, right? That's kind of what sets it apart. He wins it in music and lyrics. Beyonce takes the cake in production by a long shot. She takes it in vibe. Oh, Harry takes it in vibe. Yeah. Harry's house, for a reminder, is number 79 with an overall score of 90.3. Yep. I agree with you. I think Harry's house deserved the win however i feel like you overhyped this a little bit for me did i when we were watching the grammys and harry's house won you went wow i think beyonce got snubbed like in the moment you thought beyonce deserved the win i thought she was gonna get the win i really did and so from that alone and nothing else i went into this kind of expecting something a little more comparable to Harry's house but as your scores and as my score will show they are not it's a tough comparison to make for me my top three in album order alien superstar whoa that's a couple skips cuff it break my soul and honorable mention heated wow not yep. plastic off the sofa. That Not does plastic off me. the sofa. I like heated better. Most of those are also in my top several. I can get behind that. What are you thinking for a playlist pick? For my playlist pick, I'm leaning towards Cuff It or Break My Soul. I like. I was also leaning towards those two. You just want to do those two? Great. That makes things easy. All right. As for my score, 
As a reminder, since you gave everybody a reminder, Harry's house got an eight dips in the river sticky out of ten. That's right. So Harry Styles gets an eight. How's this one going? It's apparently not getting an eight. It is not. Is it getting a seven? It is not. Is it getting a six? What if I said it is not? Is it getting a five? It is not. Oh, we're getting down there. Is it getting a four? <laughs> it is not. Whoa! <laughs> there are only two albums that we've talked about that have gotten below a four. This is wild. Is it getting a three? It is not. Well, we should have started closer to the bottom. Is it getting a two? It is not. No way! <laughs> no way! You're giving this... A 10? It is not. (laughs) (laughs) I just thought I'd check. Did you keep guessing? Oh. You didn't guess 9 either if you want to double check that one. (laughs) So what you're telling me is this is getting a 1? It is not. (laughs) I'm I'm confused. Is it getting a 9? It is not. (laughs) Is it getting a lower 8 than Harry Styles? It is not. Are you just not going to give this one a score? It no. Well, you'll notice back on six, I said, "What if I told you it, it was not getting a six? I just asked a question." Oh my gosh! <laughs> and then you moved on, so I was like, "Let's see how far he takes this." This is getting six. Don't say it like it's some big reveal. <laughs> this is getting six hostage wiggles out of ten. <laughs> Release your six wiggles. How many? Aren't there only four wiggles? Weren't there? There might be more now. Is there four? I think there's five. I think there's five. There originally were only four. Oh, which ones? Anthony, Murray, Greg, and Jeff. I don't care about their names. What colors? Oh, I don't know. Red, blue, purple, and yellow. Oh, so there was no green. No. Release your green wiggle. (laughs) So yeah, this one's getting a six. Where in the sixes, you might ask? I'm not super confident for it, but that's just because I walked myself all the way down to thinking you were giving it a one. What if I gave it a one? I mean, that would be surprised. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if this got a one. I don't know what we give a one from you. I'm sure we'll hit one eventually. Could be any day. Where in your sixes is this going? This one is going right below the head and the heart. Ooh, weird. That's right. Business sheep beats out Beyonce. That surprises me a little bit. Really? That I just surprises me that they're so close is what really is doing it. Where'd you think it was going? I just thought it would maybe actually go a little lower than that. Ah. But it beat out Twisted Sister. It's not going to blow the beach, boys. Fair enough. So yeah, that's where it's going. Great. Well, that's our renaissance. That brings us to the end of another episode. And if you're looking for ways to release your wiggle, (laughs) come follow us on the internet at SpinItPod on Twitter and at SpinItPodOfficial on Instagram, www.spinitpod.com on the .coms, and episode 100 coming up fast. Just saying, you'll want to keep an eye out on socials, on all our channels, all our things. Got a lot of fun stuff in the works. A lot of stuff. Even some stuff James isn't aware of. Me and the mixtaper picked up a new hobby. He got me a nice birthday present I haven't told you about yet. I'm just now learning about this, whatever this is. (laughs) So that could be fun. We'll see. In the meantime, rate five units of your choosing and tell a friend who... Yeah, word of mouth. Best way to spread the podcast, spread the love. It's true. Tell a friend who broke their chair recently yeah about the podcast and we'll see you next week for more spin it shenanigans if you don't have a friend who broke their chair pick the one you really want to tell and go break their chair for them you won't break my chair chair. i'm telling everybody and until then until then keep spinning keep spinning
Oh, the chicken. Did you eat the sandwich? Oh, yeah, I ate the sandwich. You didn't You didn't know this. I didn't notice. When did you eat the sandwich? While you were playing Factor Spin against the mixtaper. What? You weren't even on the microphone. <laughs> yeah, that's why you didn't notice. You, you ate it when the mixtaper was here. <laughs> that's not fair. I pulled a sneaky one on you. It was actually pretty good. I believe it. Little Wiggle.